So let's uh, turn, if you've got your Bible, to Nehemiah. Book of Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, the second part of the chapter. I've titled this uh, message, The Danger of Broken Walls. The Danger of Broken Walls. Last Sunday, Tony took us through the first part of chapter 2. And I'm going to actually read from, in a moment, a few minutes, the beginning of chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1, just to recap, I'll say a few things as we go along, and then, uh, um, then, then, I'll, then obviously that will lead on from verse 11 onwards then to the rest of the chapter. So back in chapter 1, just uh, for those perhaps who haven't been with us uh, through these messages, we learn that Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king of Persia then, at that time, a guy called Artaxerxes. Nehemiah heard from his fellow Jews, who had travelled back from Jerusalem, that the state of the walls and of the, the, the gates were, were, were broken and burned down, and the people in Jerusalem were in a really despondent condition. And the news affected Nehemiah deeply. He wept, we learned, he fasted, he prayed. And his request was to the king, to God, that God would give him the opportunity to talk to the king and ask for permission to go to Jerusalem and to help rebuild the walls. So, chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Then I became dreadfully afraid. It wasn't a good idea to be sad in the presence of kings in those days. In that culture, kings were sheltered from anything that might cause unhappiness. So it was forbidden to be happy, sorry, to be sad in the king's presence. And it could actually have meant imprisonment or worse for Nehemiah. Perhaps a sad face meant sinister plot. In other words, King Artaxerxes might have said, what are you plotting, Nehemiah? And that might explain why, he said, then I became dreadfully afraid. It literally means a terrible fear came over me. So, Verse 2, at the end, I became, so I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Good start. If, if you are ever accused of plotting to assassinate a king, it's good to start that way. May the king live forever. He says, verse 3, why should my face not be sad when the king, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste? And its gates are burned with fire. And it struck me, that's a, an interesting way, isn't it? To refer to Jerusalem. Why didn't he just say Jerusalem? You know, if your family roots are in Manchester 
and you want to go back there to visit some relatives, would you go to your boss and say, can I take some leave because I, go, I want to go visit the city of my father's tombs? Not likely. Well, you might do if it was Manchester, but not, not likely. I'd suggest, actually, he was being very wise by saying that. It had been King Artaxerxes who had actually given that original edict, that original command to stop the building of the walls in Ezra's day, going back a few years. And so Nehemiah wasn't going to put his back up straight away by just saying Jerusalem, but also, interestingly enough, in that day, I read in my, in my um, studies and preparation, that in the Persian culture of that day, ancestors were revered. And, and their graves were regarded, regarded as secular places. Sorry, sacred places. So Nehemiah was actually answering the, in the, king, the king in a way that appealed to his sympathies, to, you know, to his respect for the dead. Possibly the king wouldn't have even been bothered if he'd heard that Jerusalem lay in ruins. I mean, that was the natural consequence of his command, wasn't it, of his edict. But he was interested in hearing about the need for a decent burial place for dead relatives, especially for a trusted servant like Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, he was just being wise, just being respectful. He was just being tactful in the way that he answered the king. That's how we should be, shouldn't it, as Christians? We should always be that. Seek to be wise, especially when you're talking with non-Christians, and we're, talking, we're seeking to be a witness. We should be careful, we should be respectful, we shouldn't be offensive unnecessarily, but we should always be bold, like Nehemiah was. We, we haven't been given a spirit of timidity or of fear, but of boldness, Paul said to Timothy. And uh, it's not always easy, is it, to get that right, the balance between respectfulness and boldness. And yet, that's where the Holy Spirit helps us. We, ha we have the Holy Spirit to help us to say and to get things right in that way, to speak in a, in a good way. And I, I think the king's response, it when, when Tony was going through it, I was thinking, oh, when, when Nehemiah heard the king's response, shivers must have gone up his spine. In verse 4 it says this, because rather than banishing him, or worse, it says, verse 4, Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, that was the, the arrow prayer, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, Notice he didn't say Jerusalem. That he send me, you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. I think that's an amazing answer to prayer. Nehemiah, you can go, but when are you coming back? If you ever have to ask for leave of absence from your work, 
You need to be worried if your boss says yes and isn't bothered when you're going to come back. You know? So here he is. So when you're coming back, Simon, <laughs> don't know yet. Artaxerxes, he says, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Interestingly, King Artaxerxes' father was the same king of Persia who had married Esther. You remember the story of Esther, some of you? And it, that was after the king at that time, King Artaxerxes', Artaxerxes father, had sort of dismissed his first wife, Queen Vashti, and he married Esther the Jew. And who knows what influence that godly woman had on her stepson, which would have been this king, King Artaxerxes. You know, here he was being sympathetic to Nehemiah, a Jew, sympathetic to his request, because God probably had been preparing him, preparing his heart. You know, it's true, isn't it? Often behind the scenes, God, God works. He, he, we don't often see what he's doing and he's working in people's lives to bring about his plans. So verse 7, Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me, when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So Nehemiah, he had the presence of mind not only to ask for permission to go, but also he asked for written authorization to pass through all of the different border controls, all the different borders. On that eight, it was an 800 mile journey he was going. No doubt he knew, one, he'd have a large contingent with him going, and he'd have building materials, and he knew that every governor would have known that the king had set an edict, a command, for, for Jews not to build Jerusalem. So he had the presence of mind and the wisdom to know that he needed written permission to pass every border control, so to give to every governor that this was, the king's, this was the king's plan and he had the king's permission. So he wisely asked for the king's written authorization as well as for resources. And uh, I was thinking about that, relating that to our building project. You know, God gave Nehemiah clarity and a steely determination to bring about what God wanted. And I thank God that God has done that for us in a much smaller project than rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. You know, he has put that steely determination in us uh, to see this through. And that's been there 
from the beginning with ups and downs. God's confirmed that. And if God can use a man like Artaxerxes to provide, then we know God can use anyone and anything. That's what we're trusting God for. We, we don't know how he's going to provide all that's needed, but uh, we know he will do that as we trust in him and we're faithful to him. And yeah, I'd add my thanks as well to, to Amanda's thanks. Uh, for those who were there last night, it, it was I know some couldn't make it, they had various things on, but it was great. There were about, I think there were over 50 of us with children, teenagers, and we were here um, praying, praying for the new pastor search, praying for the building. Children were praying uh, with Lucas and uh, up there upstairs as well. And what a great encouraging time that was. Um, just meeting, seeking God together, eating together as well. It was, it was a great time. If, if there comes another time, there likely will be when we do it like that again or a similar thing. I, I'd, it'd be great if all the church was here and uh, we were really seeking God together. But yeah, thank you for those who came. So, we come now to verse 11. This is um, our passage. It says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. It took him three days to recover. He'd been travelling 800 miles. It would have taken him probably about three months travelling. Probably on camel, or horse. You know, if I, after cycling just 10 miles, I need to recover. But 800 miles, three months journey. I mean, just, he took him three days to, to recover from his saddle soreness and, and his aching bones. But once he'd recovered, he quickly set about this task of assessing the state of the walls. Verse 12, notice when he did it, and who he did it with. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials or the others who did the work. So he, he took a few trusted men with him. He took one animal on which he rode, because he was the senior official. And under cover of darkness, he went around all the walls of Jerusalem. And again, he was acting wisely. First of all, he was the leader. He was going to be the one who was going to lead the people and inspire the people. Don't forget they were despondent. They were down and uh, really feeling down. So Nehemiah had to know exactly what needed to be done. So he went 
didn't want any distraction. So he went privately, personally, when everybody else was asleep, he went at night. He wanted to know what the vision was. I think as well he probably knew, I'm sure he knew, that there would be enemies to this work. You know, he didn't, he didn't want any leakage of, of, of what was going to happen before he was ready to announce what was going to happen. So he went at night. And he went personally and he went privately. And I was thinking, you know, there are times when God puts things in your heart when we need to learn to hold our counsel before sharing them. There are times like that. I've, I've had to learn those times. Sometimes I've said things before that were ready to be said. I suppose that's my, part of my character. I, I, I like to share things and then get feedback and think things through. And, but there are times I've had to learn, you don't always do that. We have to hold our counsel. Sometimes, doesn't Ecclesiastes say there's a time to speak and a time to be silent? Jesus held his counsel, didn't he? Jesus didn't share everything with everybody. There were times when he carefully kept things to himself or just to a few. It takes wisdom to know when to do that. And also there's that proverb, it's not scriptural, but uh, I think that would serve some of us well, which says, better to keep silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. You know, we, we, we do, don't we? We often have bright ideas, well, sometimes we do, bright ideas. We think, this is of God, and we share it, and we say, this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do this, only to find out, actually, it wasn't a God idea at all. It, wasn't a it was just a good idea. So, it's just learning sometimes, just to hold our counsel. And Nehemiah, he was conscientious. He, he went round the walls carefully, went from the valley gate and then onto the serpent well and methodically he went round and he assessed the damage, gathered information. He, want, he wanted to know what needed to be done, what resources would be needed to rebuild and what time it would take and the cost of materials etc. A long time ago I learned a verse and it's, uh, it's the only verse I've ever learned in a paraphrase but I think it's really good. It's, it's um, Proverbs 23, verse 3 and 4. And it says this, Any enterprise is built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. And I think that's really helpful. I, I know it's slightly different um, in another translation. Any enterprise is built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. And one of the things I think that characterised Nehemiah, he was careful about the details. He wasn't lax. He, he, he sort of, he didn't a, a, approach this in a sort of a, a, an easy come, easy go manner of, way, manner of doing. He treated the work of God in a careful way, not in a slipshod way. It, this was God's work. And he knew that God's glory was on the line. And isn't that the same for us? Isn't that the same for us in, in God's work, especially? Whatever we're doing, we should do it to the very best. Whatever, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, Paul says, do it all to the glory of God. 
So I can never treat God's work, and especially ministry, or whatever we do in the church, in a way that, well, anything will do. Can't do it like that. Oh, it's only church, so we'll do it this way. No. We have to do everything conscientiously. We have to aim for excellence. Jesus was a man of excellence. We have to aim for that in all that we do, even in the small details when nobody's looking. Let it be like the, the stick of rock that it goes all the way through us, wherever you cut. Always seek to be the best for Jesus. Our eyes are on him and his eyes are on me, not other people. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. The city of Jerusalem, with its walls around it, where, remember that Jerusalem especially was known as the place where God met with his people, in the temple. That city of Jerusalem, or the city, can be seen as symbolic of our lives, of our hearts. And around our hearts, there need to be spiritual walls. If you like, unseen walls that act as spiritual defences. That guard us against spiritual attack. Walls that guard us and give us defences and refuge and safety. And uh, it's a picture that's taken up in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 25, 28. I'm going to read this in the NIV. Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Do you see there? It's, it's using the metaphor of a city as a person for you and me. I think any of the Jews of Nehemiah's day, reading that proverb, they'd naturally think of Jerusalem, with its walls broken down. And it's saying that someone who struggles with self-control, and sort of struggles with self-discipline, is just like Jerusalem was, with the walls broken down, and its gates burnt, because a city like that is defenceless, it's vulnerable to attack. It might be a human attack or wild animals. That's why the walls were vital. And a man who without self-control is as defenceless as a city with broken down walls. So it's highlighting, isn't it, there, the, the importance of self-control, of self-discipline. That, that, those two characteristics affect every part of your life and my life. If I struggle in those areas of self-control and self-discipline, then I am spiritually weak in every area of my life. There'll be little defence against the attacks of the enemy. I was, I was thinking of this. I think there's a difference between self-discipline and self-control. 
I put it like this. Self-discipline is what you make yourself do. Self-control is what you stop yourself from doing. Just a a, a difference. Self-discipline is what you make yourself do. Self-control is what you stop yourself from doing. You may be a person who is quite self-disciplined, naturally so, and yet you can be someone who really struggles with self-control. I was thinking, for example, you might be a self-disciplined driver. You know, you keep to the speed limit. You keep in lane. You know, you follow the highway code. But when somebody cuts you up and, and breaks, goes you a break, you lose your self-control. You flare up. And both self-discipline and self-control are absolutely vital in our Christian lives. The great missionary pioneer Hudson Taylor said, a man may be devoted and dedicated, but if ill-disciplined, will be useless. I can be, de- I can be so dedicated, I can do this, but if I'm, not, if I'm ill-disciplined or I lack self-control, I'm useless. If you naturally are not, you know, I am not naturally self-disciplined. I am not naturally self-controlled. That is not part of my normal way of reacting. I've found it so encouraging to know that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that I work up and can work up. Galatians 5, don't need to turn to it, you might probably know it well. Galatians 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. I am so thankful that God's been patient with me in that area because I've I've had failures and I've had successes along the way. If you struggle in those areas, take comfort. God is patient with us. Rely on God. But there's a part that we have to play. Just turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and 8. 5 to 8, sorry. 2 Peter 1. Peter recognised there's something we have to do. He says, 2 Peter 1, verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness, and so on. And at the end he says, verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't want any of us to be, he doesn't want you to be barren and fruitless and unfruitful. And so he says, look, be diligent. Do all, the NIV says, make every effort to add to your faith self-control. See, we might think, well, I, 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 we shouldn't have to strive for that because it's the fruit of the Spirit. No, there's, there's a lovely balance again. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's God's Spirit producing it, but I have to play my part. I have, to, I have to deal with those things and be willing to deal with those areas where I lack self-control or self-discipline. 
We're to play our part. And self, lack of self-control, lack of self-discipline results in the spiritual walls of our heart being broken, being, and gates being burned. But, they're not, but that's not the only cause of that uh, condition. There are other reasons why the spiritual walls of your heart might be in a broken down condition. You know, it can happen just through neglect. You know, you, you, you travel into the, you, you drive out into the country and there's lots, aren't there, of, of, of dry stone walling all around. And then you see where places where it's, it's the, the walls are in ruin. Maybe animals have knocked against it or, or the frost has got in or the snow or whatever it is and, and it's crumbled and broken and it's just through neglect. And there are gaping holes. That, that can happen in your spiritual life. That can happen in my spiritual life. Just neglecting those things that strengthen our relationship with God. By neglecting my prayer life. If I neglect my prayer life, my communion with God, my walls are broken down. I've, I'm weak in every area of my life. Or my, my devotional life, my reading of God's word and feeding the spirit, feeding the soul. If I'm, if I'm neglecting that, then, then actually that actually causes my walls to be broken down around my heart, the inner walls, my spiritual walls. Maybe for some of us, those gaps in the spiritual walls have appeared over a period of time. Maybe you face the, the ups and downs of life and they have led to discouragement or disappointment. And I think sometimes we, we might be alright on the surface, but deep down there is a deep, profound dissatisfaction. And that can be a dissatisfaction with our situation, it might be with our, with our marriage, it might be with our lack of marriage, it might be dissatisfaction, discontent with things that we're facing in our lives, maybe our relationships or our work or, or our church. And, and we sort of, we don't, can't just put our finger on it, but we've never really brought that to God. Never really committed that to God, trusted him for that and come to a place of contentment with God. And what happens is, that means that there are weak points in our walls. There are areas of our walls that are dangerously unkept. Or it might be other reasons. There's lots of ways that we puncture holes in the walls. It might be by wrong choices we make bad habits that we allow to encroach in our lives. Maybe some failure. Might be just something like a, a, a critical spirit or a, a grumbling spirit that we've never really brought to God and asked God to deal with or unforgiveness. And there's, there's all sorts of things where, where the walls can be weakened. The walls of our heart. But here's the good thing. Building up of strong spiritual walls isn't easy, especially when they're broken down, but it can be done. It can be done. And I think this is a great encouragement of Nehemiah, this book. We'll, we'll be finding this out as we go through, especially the next few chapters together. But I think just in closing, there are some real helps in this last few verses 
of this chapter. Let me just read again verse 17. Just to bring our thoughts to a close. Verse 17 says this. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. It seems to me one of the problems that the people of Jerusalem faced was that they'd got used to the broken down walls. They they didn't see any way of actually rebuilding them. It just become part of their psyche, almost part of their uh, thinking that, well, actually, this is the way it's going to be and will never change. They'd resign themselves. In uh, My Fair Lady, which I quite like that film, My Fair Lady, and uh, Professor Higgins tells Eliza Doolittle, I've grown accustomed to your face. Which isn't a very pleasant thing to say, but that, it, it was meant in a pleasant way. I've grown accustomed to your face. The people in Jerusalem had grown accustomed to disgrace. They'd got used to their condition. And they'd lost God's perspective that actually he wanted those walls rebuilt. And they could do that. And that's so easily can happen in our Christian lives. We get used to disgrace. We get used to our condition. We get used to what we are like. And we forget what actually God wants us to be like. <coughs> and what made Nehemiah different? He not only saw the things that others saw and all the problems, but he actually saw the potential of what could be done with God's power. Verse 18 to the end. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been very good, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said, The Lord, the God of heaven himself, will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, he he looked at the same walls as the people, but he saw with the eye of faith what they could become. And it was the God of heaven who was going to do this. He was with them. And so he said to them, look, you see the distress that we're in? Yep, that's it. That's the reality. Come, let us build. It was uh, George Bernard Shaw who said, you see things as they are and ask why. But I dream things that never were and ask why not. And he wasn't a Christian. So how much more should we have that vision of, of seeing things that are not yet, that God wants in our lives? William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, said this, God loves with a great love the man whose heart is bursting with passion for the impossible. God loves with a great love the man whose heart is bursting with a passion for the impossible. Are any of your parts of your wall broken down? Pointed at me. 
as well. Are there areas that need strengthening? I would suggest there are always areas of our walls that need strengthening and building up, reinforcing. Take away from this Nehemiah's vision. Don't be content with broken down walls. Don't be content with anything that weakens our relationship and our usefulness to God. I think, first of all, it begins with an honest assessment, like Nehemiah. The true, what's the true spiritual state that we're in? Identify what it is, which part of the wall needs building up in my life, in your life. And that should lead us to a deep concern. Nehemiah wept, and he prayed, he longed for those walls to be rebuilt. We need to, we need to mourn over those areas and ask for God's forgiveness where we've allowed the gaps to appear or the walls to be broken. And then we come to the cross and we seek God's forgiveness through Christ, that blood of Jesus. And we determine by God's grace and God's power to put right whatever it is that caused the walls to be broken down in the first place. Because God wants us to live a life that's full in Christ. And by faith at the cross, because of what Jesus has done, we see all that God has done for us. And he has redeemed us that we might be like Christ. And so we have that vision, not of what we are, but of what we can become with God's help. And with our eyes fixed on God, we go from here with grace, the grace of God, to live out in strength those things and to deal with those things. Knowing that Christ lives within us by his spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word, that it is like a, a lamp that shines into our hearts. Lord, thank you for all that you've got to teach us through this book of Nehemiah and through his life. Lord, I pray that you would take the words that have been spoken and use them to speak to our hearts. Lord, would you give us all desires to strengthen the walls of our heart, we pray, the spiritual walls. Lord, forgive us for where we have allowed gaps to appear, maybe through lack of self-control, maybe through other things that we've allowed in, or through neglect, where we're not giving you the priority, or where, Lord, we've allowed maybe some bad habits or areas of our lives which are just not pleasing to you. Lord, please forgive us. Give us a mourning, mourning heart, a, a weeping heart for those areas. So, Lord, where we are weak and in the areas of self-control and self-discipline, Lord, thank you that you don't give up on us in those areas. Lord, would you keep going? Would you put within us strength to be self-controlled? Lord, we're sorry if we've neglected the important things that are needed to give us strength. May, Lord, help us to make prayer and reading your word and fellowshipping together a priority. Help us to want to be strong for you. Thank you, Lord, that you are the builder 
Jesus said, I will build my church. You're the God of completion. Lord, would you bring to completion in our lives those things that you've begun, changing us, helping us, strengthening us. Help us to keep our eyes upon you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to sing to close the uh, hymn, Love Divine. All love's excelling. I've chosen it because of that lovely, well, for various reasons. One of the phrases is, finish then thy new creation. And uh, as well, we'll be praying.